Hey friends, welcome to another week of This Good Word. Before we get into it, uh, I think you all know by now that my new book is out into the world. It's called Whole, Restoring What's Broken in Me, You, and the Entire World. So it gets full points for an aggressive agenda, the entire world. And, oh man, I've loved some of the messages, the emails, the Facebook notes that I've gotten regarding some of you who've read it and are reading it. And thank you so much for uh, spreading the joy. What I want to do right now is do some giveaways. So here's what's going to happen. To the first five people who send me a receipt of the purchase of Whole, uh, from Amazon or Barnes and Noble, NavPress, wherever you get it, just send me a picture of the receipt, and then I will mail you a copy, a signed copy of my first book, which is called Beginnings: The First Seven Days of the Rest of Your Life. So you can email me Steve at steveweens.com. You can tweet at me at Steve Weens. You can get me on Facebook S J Weens. Anywhere you want to, just send me the picture and I would be delighted to send you a copy of Beginnings. Yay. And if you've already gotten Whole, uh, but you don't have Beginnings yet, consider buying Whole as a gift for someone else. Send it to them and then I'll send you Beginnings. Deal? Okay. Let's get into the word. Today's word is forgiveness. And... <laughs> I actually preached a message on this at my church, and so this is going to feel like, be like a sermon, uh, but I don't get the privilege of seeing your faces and interacting with you, so it'll still feel like a podcast, but it essentially is a sermon. What I want to do is take a teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. I will read it to you. I want to make some reflections and remarks about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And one of the reasons why I laughed about that is because for many of us, forgiveness is not a good word. <laughs> it's a it's a awful word. We feel all kinds of should and ought to about forgiveness. We have some sense in which we believe that it's probably good for us to forgive but we find it really, really hard to do so from our heart, from any kind of a genuine place. Uh, the hurts that people have racked up uh, are, for some of us, unbelievably hard uh, to think about, e to even think about forgiving. So we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna get into it. Hopefully this is gonna provide some hope and also a pathway to forgiveness, even if it feels like it's like impossible. So I'm gonna read this uh, teaching of Jesus, actually a parable, and parables, uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, which I know some of you blessedly aren't, um, parables are stories that Jesus told, and they often were sort of ridiculous, a little out over the top, kind of outrageous. Uh, he was making them up, but he, he told them in such a brilliant way that no matter where you were at, no matter what level of understanding you were at of God or people of yourself, 
uh, you could get something out of it and people would get different things out of it based on where they were. That's how brilliant they were. So I'm going to read it to you. It comes from Matthew 18. Then Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. <laughs> and then I, I imagine this pause as Peter and the other disciples were sort of looking at him like, what? 77 times? And then he launches into the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is, or you could say the kingdom of God, don't, don't think heaven when we die. Don't think the afterlife here. Think the reign of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. The reign of God right here, right now. Whenever you read the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what we're talking about is the, the reign of God right here, right now. Okay, no more commentary until I'm done with the reading. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which was about a day's wage. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. They went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant back in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And then the parable ends this way, you guys. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Bam, bam, bam. So several questions should be raised for you. Number one, is that really how God is going to treat people who cannot forgive other people? God will throw you in prison and torture you for all eternity if you can't forgive the person who wronged you. So that's a, that's a fair question. That's a fair question. Number two, why does Jesus talk a lot about, there's a lot of numbers in this. There's a bag, there's 10,000 bags of gold, which equals, I did the math, uh, it equals $7.65 billion. So the servant owed the master $7.65 billion, which should raise more questions. Number one, how in the world would a servant rack up that kind of debt. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's part of the point of this parable. The whole point of the parable, people would be shaking their heads saying, number one, um, a, a master would never lend $7.65 billion to one of his servants. It just wouldn't happen. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. It's a sum of money so great that no one hearing it would ever even have imagined that amount of money. The master himself wouldn't have that amount of money. So number one, 
we understand that it's ridiculous. But then also this whole 77 times, you shouldn't forgive someone seven times, just seven times, but 77 times. And that actually is a reference back to this really bizarre passage in Genesis 4. Genesis is all the way back in the beginning of the Bible and before Noah even gets on the scene. So there's basically, you know, Adam and Eve and they have a bunch of kids and there's a guy named Lamech who is, I think, Noah's father, but don't quote me on that. He might be Noah's grandfather. And he, and he says this thing. He says he calls his two wives in. <laughs> it's so bizarre that this little tiny story is is told in the in the scriptures and he says a young man struck me so i killed him and then he said so if if cain is avenged seven times then lamech should be avenged 77 times so in genesis 4 which uh, Jesus is referring to here with a wink and a nod. and Most people would know what the 77 times was referring to. Lamech was apparently uh, believing that Cain, who murdered Abel, you guys know the story, Cain murders Abel, that he was he was right in doing so. He, there, there must have been some story that said that Abel provoked Cain. And so Cain needed to be avenged, not just once, but seven times. And so it was totally okay for Cain to murder Abel. So we assume the story goes, and uh, if only because he was struck, because Abel struck Cain. And so Lamech said, you know, this young guy struck me, so I killed him and I'll do it again. I'll do it up to 77 times because that's what vengeance looks like. And that's the story of vengeance back in Genesis 4. That is how people understood justice <laughs> in Genesis 4. And it doesn't say in the Bible after this weird thing in Genesis 4, it doesn't correct it. It doesn't say, oh, by the way, Lamech was wrong in his way. It just moves on. Now we're going to get back to that in a second. So what is Jesus saying? 77 times. You shouldn't forgive seven times, but 77 times. So maybe he's saying, keep careful records. Once you pass 77, you can be miserly with your forgiveness. <laughs> maybe he's saying that, right? And to which we have to laugh because how could anyone keep track of how many times? You're going to forgive someone 77 times and then on the 78th time, no way. Or maybe Jesus is saying, forgive everyone for everything, no matter what, no matter if you're ready, no matter what the cost is. And I think that's how most of us who are trying to take the teachings of Jesus seriously, I think that's how we see it. Forgive everyone for everything, no matter what it is, no matter if you're ready, no matter what the cost is. Kind of like, like we read this as if we're parents uh, or Jesus or God is our parent and someone does something wrong to us and, and, and then he does what? we do with our kids. Say you're sorry. And then they reluctantly say they're sorry, even though they're not sorry at all. And then say, I forgive you. And then they say, I forgive you, even though they don't forgive you at all. And then that's what we, that's what we think Jesus is saying. But at the end of the text, if you remember, Jesus says, um, this, this, you know, I, I will, this is what my heavenly father will do to you unless you forgive someone from your heart, which means Whatever else we're talking about, we're talking about a kind of forgiveness that actually is genuine. 
So we have to ask ourselves, where does that kind of forgiveness come from? Not white knuckling it, not gritting your teeth, not faking it till you make it kind of forgiveness, but actual genuine forgiveness. Where does that kind of forgiveness come from even when it's really, really hard? So I think part of what Jesus is talking about by telling this ludicrous, ridiculous, absurd story about a servant who owed a master $7.6 billion, uh, and then also when he was forgiven, that same servant not being able to forgive a debt that was owed him of one day's wages, that's absurd as well. Who would do that? No one would do that. The whole story is absurd. What Jesus is trying to say, number one, is that divine forgiveness is not a commodity to be calculated. It can't be numbered. It's limitless. It can't be quantified. Peter's question is absurd. And so Jesus is saying, my response is going to be equally absurd. When we're talking about divine forgiveness, it has so much more to do with the limitless nature of grace that God extends for First of all, we have to understand divine forgiveness. And God is portrayed by the master in the story and God chooses to forgive in an absurd way. $7.6 billion, okay, the debt is canceled. It's unbelievable, it's amazing, and it should be offensive if you really understand the nature of it. So first of all, God is trying to paint a picture of, uh, Jesus is trying to paint a picture of a God whose forgiveness cannot be quantified in our normal way of understanding it. Remember Lamech, Lamech says, hey, if Cain is avenged seven times, I'm gonna be avenged 77 times. And that's, that was distributive justice was the order of the day. So uh, let's get, so first of all, we have to understand divine forgiveness and we don't really understand it. And that's part of what Jesus is saying. You don't understand the nature of divine forgiveness. It's limitless and it's really gonna tick you off actually when you understand who receives it. People who don't deserve it receive it. And that's first of all, what you need to understand. But second of all, I think Jesus wants us to take a look at uh, the absurdity again of, and again, this parable is made up, but of the servant's reaction. So when the master pulls him in, he says, hey, I'm going to you know, sell everything you have in order to pay back the debt. Number one, you should notice, even if he sold everything he had, he's a servant, it wouldn't even come close to paying back the debt. So that's number one. Number two, the servant says to the master, be patient with me, I'll pay you back everything. Now remember, he owed $7.6 billion. Really? You're really gonna pay back that money? So Jesus wants us to understand that the servant didn't have any idea how much he owed. If he thought he was gonna pay it back, it, he had an absurd understanding of the debt there was no possibility he could pay it back. And so in, in the crazy, absurd grace of the master, he just forgives the person. 
But then we look at the absurd reaction that the servant has to his fellow servant, his friend who owes him one day's wage. The servant, and he throttles him by the neck. He says, you've got to pay me back, even though he's just been forgiven this $7.6 billion debt. If he really understood the forgiveness that he had just been given, he would be weeping. He would be throwing a party with his family. He would gather his wife and kids around. They would pay homage to the master. They would say, oh, master, you're the greatest guy ever. And in that joy, um, the, the natural response to receiving that kind of forgiveness I mean, is when you really have, have received it, is something fundamentally changes in you. And you say, oh my goodness, uh, I, like there is no way you would demand that someone who owes you one day's wage be, uh, you know, uh, be, uh, there, there, there's, there's no way you would demand that he pay you back. And the fact that he does proves that he doesn't understand his debt, $7.6 billion, or what's been um, forgiven him. And so the question is, have you ever experienced absurd forgiveness? The kind of forgiveness that you didn't deserve, the kind of forgiveness that just moves toward you even though you really, really did something pretty awful. I can tell you, and I'm not going to tell you the stories because I'm just not ready to, but there have been two occasions in my life where the forgiveness offered to me was so staggering that honestly, and real, genuine, that I, I, to this day, sometimes as I interact with these people, I think I, I am, I am absolutely nonplussed that this person is even talking to me and I'm blown away by it. I haven't stopped thinking about it. I will never forget it. It's staggering. It's $7.65 billion worth now wasn't actual money. It was something actually far more precious than that, that was forgiven me. But if we're caught playing a game of distributive justice, then we're going to assume that that's the game that God plays. And that's the game that we need to play. Distributive justice is what we see in Genesis 4 with Lamech. He's going to be avenged 77 fold. But it's interesting as we read the progression of justice in the Bible and forgiveness. We move from Genesis 4 to Exodus 21, where we read the very famous quote that almost everybody knows, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, we read this as vengeance, and it is, but what this was in the time of the Exodus, so this is many hundred years after Genesis 4, it's a move towards uh, justice. It's a, it's, it's a move to curb violence because Lamech, remember, murdered this young guy because he just, the young guy hit him and he was justified in doing so in his own eyes anyway. He wasn't punished by the society. But in Exodus, now that we have the children of Israel, they've received the Ten Commandments, they're living as the people of God or they're trying to anyway. The new teaching is, hey, if someone pokes your eye, the most you can do is poke them in their eye. 
If someone takes your eye out, you can't kill them. The most you can do is take their eye out. Uh, someone knocks out a tooth, the most you can do is knock out their tooth. Now, that, that sounds ridiculous to us now, but back then it was a radical move toward curbing violence. Can you see that, right? And so then when Jesus says in Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and you've heard it said that way because it was in the Bible, but I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. And so Jesus is moving it even further. No longer is it going to be just, no longer will we be satisfied with curbing violence by saying, do unto someone what they've done unto you. Jesus is saying, don't resist them with violence, resist them with nonviolence. If anyone strikes you the right cheek, turn the other also. I mean, that, now you can look at that and, and you can say, why would you do that? Or that's just re-victimizing someone. But if someone strikes you, instead of striking them back, if you lift up your head and turn the other, turn your cheek. Now, some of this is metaphorical. Some of this, you know, remember, it's it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's uh, ludicrous. It's the teaching of Jesus here is meant to be perplexing. But if you actually did that, then uh, the person that just struck you would be forced to look at themselves and the ridiculousness of what they're doing. Like you're actually offering yourself again for them to strike you. And it forces them to kind of, to maybe they've just acted out of pure amygdala hijack, fight or flight. They've chosen fight. They strike you on the cheek. And if you look at them in the eyes and say, well, I dare you to do it again. It forces them to at least think about what they're doing. This crazy story by this man called Jean Vanier. He started the L'Arche Movement. It's one of my heroes. And uh, he was walking through his little village in France. And this guy was so mad at him uh, for a number of reasons. This, this guy came out of his door and he just kept yelling at Jean Vanier. He was so angry. And then finally, Jean Vanier, he said, I didn't know what to do. The guy was so angry. He just looked at him and he said, would you like to hit me? And the guy did. The guy hauled off and knocked Jean Vanier to the ground. But then Jean Vanier stayed there and he helped him, you know, he got up. And then he said, would you like now to come into my house? Jean Vanier said to this man. And the man broke down and he went into his house and they became friends. Now, friends, I'm not saying that you should do that in every single, you know, when you're hit. I'm certainly not saying if you're being abused at home, your husband's hitting you, you're to offer the other cheek. I'm not saying that at all. You need to get safe. You need to find safety. You need to, uh, you need to take, take great efforts so that that abuse can stop. So please understand me with that. Jesus is not here talking about an abusive relationship. He is talking about um, standing up to people in, in power by resisting them, not by acting violently, but by acting non-violently. That's what he's saying. And when we're talking about forgiveness, you guys, here's the deal. 
our natural pattern is to hold it inside ourselves to go around and around in our minds about the things that we want vengeance and we want that person to feel sorry or be sorry maybe we want the thing not to happen in the first place and i think jesus would say all oh, those things are so normal they're so natural uh, but jesus would also say if you want to be free then the old quote from Corey Ten Boom is so powerful and wise. Forgiveness is releasing a prisoner and then finding out that that prisoner is you. See, forgiveness is not saying that what happened is okay. What happened was not okay. You were hurt and it was, a, it was an obstruction of justice. You were sinned against. It was bad. It was bad news. And forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It's also not saying that you're going to be friends with the person, best friends or friends at all. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. This is such an important point. You can, that's why you can forgive someone that's already dead, actually. You can forgive someone that is, that is no longer alive. You can also forgive someone that's in prison, or you can forgive someone that you'll never talk to again. Because forgiveness, this is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is waiving your right to collect payment. Forgiveness is waiving your right to collect payment for what has been done. Because what that is, is that's distributive justice. Uh, I demand for them to be sorry. I demand that it never happened in the first place. I demand restitution completely. I demand to, to not feel the way I feel. I demand to have all my hurts be made whole and that is something those all those desires are are okay to have and don't beat yourself up if you have every single one of them the problem is that that payment that you're looking for actually can't be paid back to you so you're demanding something that's impossible to receive forgiveness is waiving your right to collect payment it's surrendering your rights it's saying i'm going to move on without demanding vengeance, without exacting retribution, or even gaining simple justice. It's just drawing a line in the sand under the debt, whatever it is, and saying, that's over, let's move on. That's over, let's move on. And again, moving on doesn't mean becoming friends. Moving on doesn't mean reconciling. It just means I'm no longer going to demand payment from you. I'm going to release myself from the debt being paid. I'm going to release you from the debt being paid, and we're going to move on. So if you want to move toward genuine forgiveness, I think um, there, there are some movements. There are some steps. Number one, I think you need to be honest. Be honest about the payment that you're wishing for. You know, again, maybe you want vengeance, really. You want to do something that makes them hurt be honest about that. I think it's really interesting in the Psalms as you read the Psalms. There's so much violence in the Psalms. I mean, at times, um, the psalmist prays for their enemies to be slaughtered, to be killed, to be murdered, for their children to be dashed against the rocks. I mean, it's really gruesome. And if you look at it like, wow, is that okay to pray for? Uh, that's probably the wrong question. I think the right, the right understanding of that is if you're going to move toward forgiveness, first you got to name the thing that you think is the payment, the vengeance, the, 
the different past. Maybe you want people to be sorry. Whatever it is, name it, journal it, say it to someone. And then realize that, realize, number two, that forgiveness is really a journey. You have to start small. So maybe when someone says a dumb thing on Facebook, instead of retorting back with some hot take, smart alecky comment, just move on. Or just, you know, heap kindness on them instead of retorting with an angry statement that is going to make sure you get the last word. Maybe in traffic, someone cuts you off and you're going to be mad about it. You're going to flip them a bird. You're going to do whatever it is. What if instead you just... You just, you know, you felt your feelings, that hot shame that happens when someone cuts you off or whatever it is. Um, what if you just prayed, Lord, bless them? I, mean, I know that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. But otherwise, you're going to you're just going to carry that anger with you. And it's going to spill all over the very next person that you come into contact with. Someone's going to call you on the phone. You're going to say, what? You know, you're at work. Someone's going to get all that stuff all over them. It's toxic when you carry anger like that. So start small. Maybe email. Again, someone fires off a, a quick email that hurts your feelings. You know, maybe it's time to say that. Maybe you need to confront that. But, um, you know, do it after some time has passed and you're not, we've, we've talked about this recently, you're not responding through the amygdala. Um, and then uh, let forgiveness be a progression, Right? Uh, so that's number two. And then number three is asking yourself, what can I let go of today? Maybe it's not the whole thing, you know, but maybe today you can let go of uh, needing their brains to be <laughs> smashed all over the sidewalk, <laughs> kind of laughing. But it's like for some of you, that's not totally far off the mark. Maybe I can let go of my need for them to be publicly humiliated. Maybe I can let go of my need to be publicly exonerated. Maybe I can let go of my need for them to be sorry. Maybe I, I can let go of my need eventually for it to have never have happened in the first place. So forgiveness is going to be a progression of thought and of deed and of action. And it's not going to be, you're not going to wake up someday probably and feel like forgiving. You're not going to be like, oh man, I'm so, I just, I'm filled with joy. I can forgive them. No big deal. It's going to be a series of decisions that you make because forgiveness is releasing your, a, a, a prisoner and finding out that prisoner is you. You got to remember that. So be honest. What do you wish for? Let it be a progression and then start making decisions. What can you let go of today? Remember, forgiveness flows out of the divine. God is so, God is so, it's so true that God is love, that God, God has a ridiculous and absurd measure of forgiveness. It goes way past that which can be quantified. It's way bigger than numbers and 7.65 billion dollars and ludicrous, absurd parables about people who get it and don't get it. It's way bigger than that. It's so big that we'll never understand it. It's so big and extends to so many people that if you really understood it, you'd probably be pissed off because <laughs> it not only flows to you, but it flows to the person that you hate the most. Right, and that that might piss you off. On the other hand, 
by some stroke of grace, you may understand, even right now maybe, that the whole thing is ridiculous and the fact that you are forgiven is ridiculous and absurd. And when you let that in, when you let that in, it just might give you the ability to start the forgiveness journey. So if that's you, gang, my encouragement to you is to start small, to be honest and let forgiveness be a progression. And move on from there, my friends, because this is about moving toward life, moving toward wholeness, moving toward freedom. That's what love is all about. That's what God is all about. And it's about um, releasing anger because it's toxic. We all know that. So I hope this has been uh, helpful, my friends. Uh, boy, this is something that I constantly struggle with. So if this is something that's hard to hear, you know, you might just want to press pause on this one and go listen to a different <laughs> episode. Return to this when you're ready. That's okay. It's totally okay. Uh, before I sign off, I want to remind you of this giveaway. So all it, all it takes is you send me a receipt of purchasing a copy of Whole and then uh, email me, steve at steveweens.com. Hit me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm Steve Weens at Instagram as well. SJ Weens on Facebook and Steve Weens at Twitter. So do that, and I will send you a signed copy of Beginnings. It would be my pleasure to do so. So friends, uh, that is another episode of This Good Word. And We are dust and breath. We're limited, limitless. We're human and holy, and we are in it together. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Facebook at Steve Ween's Author. Twitter at Steve Weens and Instagram at Steve Weens. And you can find all my work, all my books, the show notes, all kinds of other fun stuff on my website, steveweens.com. And please consider supporting me on Patreon. Lots of fun benefits for all levels of patrons. Check it out at patreon.com slash this good word. The truth was you knew you were losing that fight in your suburban back.